Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners with me, Andrew Doyle. Joining me tonight to help us navigate through tomorrow's news are two comedians, Steve N. Allen and Leo Kurse. How are you both? Pretty good. For, I mean, not sweating as much in the aircon. No, I mean, there is a heat wave outside, but the aircon's good here, right? Yeah. Yeah, we have to say that because obviously the people at home don't know, but it's good here, right? Are you yeah, happy yeah, it's, there? Like, it's like we walk into the supermarket and go to the freezer aisle, and that's, that's the best part of summer. Yeah. That blast of cold. Yes, and you've got a baby due, Leo, haven't you? Yeah. When's yeah. that happening? Well, we, do, we don't know if it's going to be Jewish yet. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, the start of October. OK, exciting. And you've recently had one, Steve. Yeah, it's old hat now. Uh, yeah, we're, we're bored at this point. Yeah, four-month-old, yeah. I mean. Mm. Yeah, you already got jaded. That's He's what... not driving yet. Everything's <laughs> slow, I don't know what the deal is. See, this is why I'm not going to reproduce. Anyway, we're going to crack on with the show. We're going to take a look at tomorrow's front pages. We're going to start with Tuesday's Mail, and it runs with Truss... Back me or it'll be Rishi. So the gloves are off with the Tory leadership contest. And now we're moving on to Tuesday's Telegraph. Britain braced for heat health emergency and also BBC risking safety of troops with SAS documentary. There's a very unflattering picture there as well of Sajid Javid there looking under pressure. Moving on now to The Independent, which runs with Javid exploited non-DOM tax loophole while MP. Moving on now to The Guardian, which runs with a Tories take fast track to replace MP. This is a story we're going to be talking about, how the new prime minister is going to be named on the 5th of September. There's also a sinister image there of the Uber whistleblower. Ooh. Let's move on now to The Financial Times. Sunak to defend tax stance by vowing cuts once inflation tamed. The Daily Express has heatwave is risk to life with an image of lots of people putting their lives at risk by having fun on a beach. And on to Tuesday's Sun, which has Olympic hero Israeli Hussein Abdi Kahin, not Mo Farah. We'll be talking about that later on as well. And Tuesday's Metro goes with F1 Bernie in £400 million tax dodge. We will be talking about that too. And those are your front covers. Tuesday's Guardian up first. Looks like we should remember, remember the 5th of September, Steve. Yeah, just after we've recovered from the bank holiday, August bank holiday hangover. Oh, new prime minister. Right. Be, what a treat to look forward to. Um, so the chair of the 1922 committee, they've sorted out the rules for this one. They can get in and out, no messing around. They're speeding, they're speeding things up, which is a shame because I wanted this to be a long summer of... Because remember when Big Brother was a good TV show? It yeah. filled the news gap in the summer and each week you voted one off. We could have had this. Yeah, you want it to be long, like Eurovision used to be, where you had basically about five hours of voting. Yeah. You want it to go on and on and on. But no, they're speeding it up. So now what, each candidate has to get 20 uh, MPs supporting them. Yeah. By when? Tuesday at night? Tuesday. And it's only one day of, uh, like, the, the, the uh, applications are open for a day. Wednesday, there's a vote. Thursday, probably a vote. They just trim things down a little. I mean, at this rate, I know they're saying we'll, we'll find it out by the 5th of September, but all it takes is... 
for one person to pull out. When they've whittled it down to two, one yes. person has no chance. This is just going to be a damn square. Mind, mind you, this is such a wide range of candidates, isn't it, Leo? I mean, there's so many. They yeah. probably have to do something. Yeah, I think we're already at a, a dozen. Yes, so, we and, are. And you're getting random people uh, throwing their hat into the ring, like people who you know are, are just you know haven't even, even served on the front bench, I think. Um, <laughs> and so, some of the people, I mean, actually, some of the front runners are the dodgiest uh, people. Like N Nadine Z Zahawi was investigated by the National Crime Agency. Grant Shapps uh, ran some sort of pyramid scheme type thing under a, under a fake name. So who do you think is going to win, or who um, do you want to win? I want Kemi. Badenoch to win, or Badenoch? Right. Is it Badenoch? It's Badenoch. It's Badenoch. Yeah. Okay, I want Kemi Badenoch to win. And then you'll learn how to pronounce her name. And then, and, but <laughs> yeah, that, and that's, not, that's not being racist, me being racist, because that is a Scottish name, her husband's uh, Hamish. Which I, I, Why can't a Scot be racist against the Scots? That's a good point. Yeah, but, internalised um, Scots phobia. But yeah, that, I saw her speak today, funnily enough, at the House of Lords, and, yep. as you did, because you were there as well. And, <laughs> yeah, she, she made really good points, she really gets things. She's She's the, the sort of best of conservatives. She's straight talking. She's small government, low tax, uh, freedom of expression. And uh, I think she'd be brilliant for the country. Yeah, I very much enjoyed her speech but today. She's done a chance of getting 20 backers, though. So at the moment, she's got 12, as far as I'm aware. Um, and there's still, what, 24 hours to go. A lot yeah. can happen. Uh, I know that Rishi Sunak has already uh, exceeded 20 that he needs. I think he's on 40, 40 something like that. Penny Mordaunt has also exceeded it. So, in fact, those are the only two that have, I believe. Is that right? Mm, yeah. So, uh, you know, there's all to play for. So, potentially, she could do it. Michael Gove backed her, I believe. And uh, he's, he's obviously not, yeah. a, a big hitter. So. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. But it's all very exciting, isn't it? Uh, moving on to Tuesday's Times now. And, oh, well, this is another dodgy dossier story. But this one's come from Pretty Patel's camp. What's this about? Yeah, that's right. So, an ally of Pretty Patel has admitted sharing a dirty dossier sent around Tory WhatsApp groups. Not, it wasn't in any of mine. I wish I'd seen it. Uh, branding <laughs> Rishi Sunak a liar who cannot be trusted on tax. So the memo uh, accuses Sunak of wasting money during the pandemic, breaking Conservative manifesto commitments not to raise taxes and publicly lying about his wife's non-dom tax status. So the truth then, it's not so much a dodgy <laughs> dossier. When you say dodgy dossier, you think it's going to be like, you know, the uh, Tony Blair's uh, dodgy dossier for, for invading Iraq, which was full of uh, concocted nonsense uh, to justify killing half a million people. Um, yes. But yeah, uh, if, and if you're wondering why this is this is news, Patel is expected to launch her leadership bid imminently right, after sounding out some sort of, uh, you know, the, the right wing of the party. But Pretty Patel hasn't leaked to this, has she herself? This isn't her doing. This is her ally, is it? Somebody's yeah. OK, and it's gone on to a WhatsApp group. How have we got it? Is it, just, is it because all WhatsApp groups are porous, yeah. basically? <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't understand why any politician is on WhatsApp. Whenever I'm on WhatsApp, I'm always just assuming that everything's going to be screenshot and put out there. I mean, that's the only way to be, right? Yeah, I mean, and also, wouldn't it be nice if the most powerful person in the na nation wouldn't soon be uh, elected via... WhatsApp rules. <laughs> then it's so important. Exactly. Now, apparently, it's, it's, I love the way that the, the Conservatives do it, though. They always aim for the front runner and just bring down the front runner. Yeah. And if you do that successively, eventually you end up with one of the weakest runners getting the gig. Well, but that's why I don't think it's going to be Rishi, because I know at the moment he's clear that he's clearly the front runner. He's got the most support. But I just, it never works out that way, does it? And also, he was fined through Partygate. Yep. That must count for something against him. Certainly, there are other reasons why as well. You know, uh, the resignation. Uh, was suspiciously close to Sajid Javid's re resignation. Yeah. So there's gossip about that. I mean, what do you think, Leo? Well, I think the, the real issue that'll hobble uh, Rishi is he comes with baggage. So, I mean, yeah. as well as the, the Partygate uh, scandal, which I don't think is a big issue for most people. He, he turned up, you know, saw there's a party and sang happy birthday and left. It wasn't... How dare he? It wasn't the biggest crime in the world. <laughs> but 
uh, other things. So, you know, him and his wife's non-dom status. Yeah. And they also, I believe, had uh, green cards. So uh, that, I think, means that they have to pay, they had to pay tax in America rather than the UK. I mean, surely a basic requirement for being prime minister or being chancellor in the UK is that you live here and you right. pay tax here. Well, it's, you know, just one of those basic things. So I think that'll hobble him. We shall see. Uh, let's move on now to th Tuesday's Telegraph next. Jacob Rees-Mogg. Steve, will he? Won't he? Well, it's, I mean, I, I'm on tender hooks. I really am. Uh, you're running for the Tory leadership, please, is what I'm saying. Because you want him to. There are two groups to consider this. So, so he's sounding out, apparently, to see if the idea of him running has long, gangly legs, I presume. Um, and there are two groups that we all think of. The Boris supporters, who are really upset that his reign's come to an end. The anti-Boris people, who happy that he's been deposed. There's the third group of satirists who are going to miss someone with crazy hair, way too many kids and other kind of go-to cliché jokes. Wallpaper, boom, that's all the punchline would need to be. Exactly. This is the candidate who could get the gig and we could go back to doing easy jokes, like the, like he's some sort of a villain from a uh, standalone episode of Doctor Who back in the David Tennant days. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it, he's a gift to comedians. Yeah. And, you know, and it seems like a nice enough chap. Uh, it's funny, though, Johnny Rotten has supported him. Is that yeah. right or is that a joke? Well, well that... yeah, I, mean, I, th I think that's, that's quite right. And we're, we're seeing Johnny, Johnny Rotten has spoken out before about uh, how this generation, you know, the, the, the sort of woke generation have become uh, these, uh, you know, mean, uh, mean people silencing everybody and, you know, the opposite of what he was like in, in his youth. He thinks that conservative is punk now. Yeah. And he thinks the more ultra-conservative you get, as into the level of Jacob Rees-Mogg, that's super punk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what, what a world we live in now. Yeah. Is it possible that he's not necessarily thinking at his most clearest? Uh, well, I don't think he was even when he was in the Sex Pistols, to be fair. There are a fair few knock-offs going on. I completely agree with them. I mean, if you, if you look, I mean, the, we're culturally... All right, we've got an ostensibly Tory government, although they seem pretty far left to me. But, you know, culturally, you know, this, this sort of woke ideology is just... It's got a grip of everything, academia, the arts. You know what it's like in comedy. Yeah, but we like have... if, you, if you come out as right wing in comedy, you you get you get cancelled. But we do have other we do have other candidates, people like Kemi Badenoch, who are saying that she's going to deal with those kind of things, the infiltration into our institutions of this kind of critical social justice culture, whatever you want to call it. Uh, do we really need someone like Jacob Rees-Mogg? I mean, he's saying he's going to shore up the Eurosceptic element of the party, but again, do we need it because Brexit's done? Well, this is this is the thing, and I think Brexit is less important than than he and other people on the right of the party think. I mean, it's it's becoming a lot softer in the in opinion polls. Uh, people aren't you know aren't hell bent on a on a hard Brexit. And I think, you know, certainly in the red wall, uh, instead of Brexit, what matters most is del delivering some sort of tangible improvement and tangible, yeah. you know, this levelling up that was a great phrase, but where is it? Nothing happened. No, well, he fired his levelling up secretary, didn't he? So, you know, I don't... But also the position here is that Jacob Rees-Mogg wants to be the pro or the con continuity Boris um, candidate. Yes. Which, given that the Conservatives have just got rid of Boris... It's a bad it's idea. An interesting marketing it ploy, is. isn't it? It's funny that. Did you see that video of Jacob Rees-Mogg, famous video of when he's 12, saying that he wants to be Prime Minister? <laughs> yeah, it's a great be, clip. He wants to be Prime Minister by the time he's 17. He is now, I think, uh, 153. No, he's actually he's so much 50, younger than you think. 53. Is he 53? Yeah, he's 53. It's he's a spring chicken. <laughs> anyway, let's move on now. Uh, and this is Tuesday's Telegraph now. And is Carrie Johnson living in her own version of Carrie, Leo? 
<laughs> well, Carrie Johnson uh, said she felt number 10 was like a prison. I don't think she's actually been to, to Belmarsh. Uh, <laughs> she's and, had a horrible time, though, of it. That's what uh, she's saying. Yeah, I mean, that's what she says. She, she plans to step away from politics, which, to be honest, she should have done uh, some time ago instead of like, having, a, having a, such a tight grip over everything Boris thought. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> she, she said she was trapped in Downing Street, unable to come and go without being photographed. As, uh, did, does she know what happens when you marry a prime minister? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, so she's not going to resume her political career. So she was the Conservative Party's head of commu communications for a short spell. I wonder how she got that job. Um, <laughs> she's must, saying she's not going back to that, though. She doesn't yeah, want anything to do with politics. Must have been a blow to, to leave. But uh, yeah, and she, she now campaigns, instead of politics, she wants to work in, in charity. She campaigns on animal rights, conservation and violence against women. She, she doesn't uh, say whether she's for or against it. But that's what she wants to do now. And, uh, yeah, so she says Downing Street is like a prison, or this is an insider uh, speaking on her beh behalf, says it's nice enough in the flat, but it doesn't have its own outside space that's genuinely yours. The garden is shared with the staff and you can't move outside the gates without people following you or taking oh, pictures. Oh, yeah, really, really slumming it at 10 Downing Street <laughs> and with checkers around the corner if you want to go there as well. I mean, the thing about this is, I get it, you know, it must be annoying to have paparazzi on your doorstep all the time, wherever you go, to be one of the most famous people or one of the most famous couples. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a bit like Meghan Markle, you know, saying, you know, I, don't, I don't like press attention and then marrying an actual prince. You know, obviously these things are going to happen, right? Surely they should expect it. Oh, if, if you pursue power and status, you have pursued the downside of power and status. You couldn't have been ignorant of it when it started. No. Then there is this trend of, of hitting that point of going, woe is me, because you, then you're close to your own problems. But to, to say that number 10 is like a prison, it's not like a prison. It was... <laughs> They managed to smuggle wine in in a suitcase. The only way you get yeah. wine into a prison, I think nature's suitcase is the phrase for yeah. it. Well, prisoner cell block H, they uh, injected it into tennis balls and threw it over the, over the fence. Is that how they do it? Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's for the next lockdown. That's how they could... Uh... That's, a, that's not a bad tip, actually. Anyway, on to Tuesday's Mail now. And Boris fears his own damaging opinion, Steve. Yeah, it says he's uh, broken cover. He's now make, he's, he's said a thing, so this is news. He was visiting the Francis Crick Institute, so maybe he's got some DNA tests coming up soon, and uh, he said at this stage he's not backing anyone because he doesn't want to damage their chances. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I think if he actually thought his backing would damage a chance... He'd be wearing an I Heart Rishi T-shirt when he goes jogging. You think? He'd be giving him a right big hug. So I'm not so sure about that. I spoke to uh, an MP uh, at Westminster a while ago, a few months ago, and, uh, and I was saying at the time, why won't Boris just resign? Because it was at the time that everyone was calling for him to resign. And this MP said to me, he can't. It's not in his nature. His ego will not allow it. It's all about being Prime Minister. So I sort of think now, if that is true, will he even care who succeeds him? When he's out the door, is Boris Johnson even going to have any sort of uh, interest in it at all? Yeah, I mean, everything we've seen from his, uh, from his reign as Prime Minister has been, yeah, it's all about Boris. And, you know, when he was mayor, he was such a great mayor because, you know, they, you just need to be a, an entertaining clown. And uh, even, even the good things he's done in his premiership has been about him. So going to, going to Ukraine and, you know, shoring up support. That was very Churchillian, wasn't it? And that's he wanted, how he sees him. He himself, wanted yeah. to be seen. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, doing, but did a good job. Yeah, did a great, did a great job with, uh, with Ukraine. Uh, slightly uh, less of a good job in some other areas. But that's the thing. Is that I don't think that ego necessarily is bad. We've all got one. Yeah. But if you, if you sort of direct your egoism into a good thing, so probably the positive outcome, that's not so bad, is it, Steve? No, but eventually it's bound to... You come a cropper. At some yeah. point, if, if all you're considering is yourself, 
than, than maybe just never work in office where you're trying to help a nation. Because at some point, your goals will not be aligned. And it, it's the point when everyone's saying it's time to, for you to go now, yeah. and he's saying, no, it's all about me. wonder what he'll do now. I mean, he can earn a fortune, though, can't he, on the... Well, they're, they're saying that apparently you can earn hundreds of thousands of pounds on the US uh, circuit doing, doing speeches, as you see, you know, Tony Blair and, and Bill Clinton doing. But... Uh, because of uh, you know because of the sort of ignominy that surrounding his, him leaving office, uh, they're not sure if you know corporations are going to win. Oh, they will. Any <laughs> former prime minister, surely, surely. And look, I mean, credit where it's due. I bet he does a great after dinner speech. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Okay, let's move on uh, now. This is the Sun. Uh, oh no, sorry, it's the Tuesday's Metro now, uh, and a scandal that doesn't actually involve MPs. Leo, nice yeah. change. Yeah, so Bernie Eccleston has been charged with fraud. The tycoon, he's 91. So uh, even though him and Jacob Rees-Mogg look the same age, he's actually substantially 91. older. 91? 91, yeah. And he's still, he's still got hair and all the rest of it. Looks um, great. So, yeah, he's accused of failing to declare overseas assets worth more than £400 million to the taxman. I mean, uh, maybe he should run for PM. <laughs> one, of the, one of the more financially open ones. Um, £400 million seems an awful lot. Maybe if you're that rich, it doesn't seem like an awful lot. I'm not trying to make excuses for it, but could you forget about £400 million? In his defence, I mean, the HMRC changed rules quite substantially in recent years around sort of non-domiciled things and offshore uh, tax havens and yeah. you know, uh, all these different companies that you can set up to, to funnel money and, you know, IR35 and all this kind of stuff. So uh, it might be something that was perfectly legal before and under the new rules became illegal. We don't, we don't know. I mean, we should say we don't know. Oh, yeah, we, yeah, don't. we absolutely don't know. <laughs> well, one thing I think we do know is that he's not sitting there doing his self-assessment form himself. He's paying for accountants who <laughs> should know this. Yeah. yeah, of course, of course. He was apparently just on Good Morning Britain and he got in a bit of trouble the other day. Uh, he was yeah. talking about... He was sort of basically saying that uh, he would take a bullet for Vladimir Putin yeah, yeah. and dismiss Zelensky as a comedian. Yeah, and, uh, but he is a comedian. He actually is a comedian, so that's fair enough. Yeah, and when uh, when we tried to actually arrange for him to take a bullet for Putin, he, he backed out of the deal. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, you know, you've got to go through with it. If you're going to put your money there, just go, do it, mate. He didn't put his money there, he put it offshore. No, he did, absolutely. <laughs> with Tuesday's Guardian, another day, another leak in Parliament. Steve, talk us through it. I should say, early doors, this story relies heavily on the fact that the word leak can refer to both water coming out of something that's meant to contain water and information. Bear that in mind. It <laughs> can also mean a vegetable. It can, but it's not used... Unless, like, Plaid Cymru get involved in the puns on this, I don't think they do. Um, the Guardian, Parliament hit by new leak, this time from the common ceiling. <laughs> so not the other... I mean, that is this, the essence of this article, it's, is that, is that okay. basically the, the roof is leaking... Yeah. And it sounds a bit like leak. Yep. So the next bit, they say, uh, a leak's hit Parliament and it's not come from a scandal or a high-profile resignation. And then the Commons Deputy Speaker uh, told PA News, someone's just said to me, this is one leak, <laughs> we don't have to have an inquiry. Oh, so that's all it is. That's all it is. I mean, um, come on. Can we stop saying that The Guardian is a broadsheet? This is a, <laughs> it's a tabloid. It's a total yeah. tabloid now. And also, all their, uh, all their lists of best comedians and stuff like that, they're always terrible. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is... I mean, there's a serious story nestled in the, in the back of this, uh, this article. So the um, Houses of Parliament are apparently crumbling. They're, uh, they're sinking into the ground. Well, they're uh, pretty old. They are, they are quite old. And it's going to cost um, between £7 billion and £13 billion. But that's why they won't repair it. At the, I mean, that's the problem. But also, that's, that's 
and the number that we before the overrun. There's never been a government project yeah. that doesn't multiply. So it's it's 153 million. Yeah, one billion for every single year that Jacob Rees-Mogg's been alive. I mean, <laughs> it's got to be done though. I mean, ultimately, because you've got visitors every day, you've got you've got the business of government. Yeah, you know, apparently there was a leak in 2019 as well. They had to get the, the press out. I mean, basically, that's not something you can just you know, leave leave aside. Yeah. You've just got yeah. to sort it. But they'll have to rehome uh, all, all of Parliament and the House of Lords uh, somewhere else, you know, in a, a business park in Swindon while they <laughs> sort it out. They, okay. they do describe it as Britain's Notre Dame, and I was thinking, it would have loved a leak. If ever there's yes. a building that needed more water. <laughs> it needed a big leak, didn't it? Anyway, sticking with tomorrow's Guardian and Scotland, going back on their pledge to Ukraine, Leo. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they do have some uh, some reason to do it. So Scotland has deposited its Ukrainian refugee sponsorship scheme for three months because it faces a lack of suitable accommodation. Uh, so they've they've taken... They, they said they'd take 7,000... Uh, but they've, they've taken 4,666 um, and they're going to welcome an additional 18,000 Ukrainian refugees in the coming months, but there aren't enough places for them, for them to stay. So they're using hotels, university campuses, they've chartered a passenger ship uh, to provide accommodation and uh, North Lanarkshire Council has announced plans to, to delay the demolition of two re residential towers. Uh, so they can stick people Because they're saying basically the emergency accommodation that they would have for these 18,000 refugees is not fair, given that yeah. these are going to be vulnerable people, traumatised people. Exactly, they, yeah. Got to, you can't just put them in a tent, you know. Yeah, I wonder if you should ask them, though, if it's kind of like, would you like this accommodation that we're not happy with or we just leave you where you are? It might seem... No, like, I understand. We'll take that. No, yeah. I understand that. I and mean... That I mean, the, well, the good thing about uh, Ukrainian refugees is that uh, you know they, they return a million have returned to to Ukraine. So this is a temporary uh, thing. So it's it's not as if Scotland's going to have to find permanent no. housing for, no. for these. People. And, and after the story of the guy who left his wife for the Ukrainian woman that it, that they uh, took in, yes. I'm surprised more people haven't applied. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't good PR for that. That was that was not not fair. Anyway, Tuesday's Times next. It's not looking good for Twitter, Steve, or is it? Well, possibly not if you hold shares at the moment, because the shares have taken a nosedive as Elon Musk um, is trying to pull out of the deal. They're going to court over this. I mean, maybe now's a good time to get some shares. Maybe. Because... Well, talk us through this. But I know Elon Musk, you know, said that he wanted to buy Twitter for what was it, forty-four billion, yep. uh, and he was saying. I need to see your stats on how many of your users are bots, are yeah. fake users, because that affects the, the revenue. And they said no, and they kept fudging it, and they wouldn't give him the information, right? Yes, true, but part of what he should have done before starting this deal is his own due diligence, which is checking these pieces of information before he signs the deal. But he can't get that information. That, that's the point, So he never it? should have signed the deal. OK. So, I mean, this will be... I mean, look, we, we've just done the, the short version of what this court case is going to be about. Yeah. It's going to cost loads. But what's great about it is that he's... Elon Musk is now sort of implying that, well, if we do go to court and if Twitter do sue him and force him to, to you know, go along with the takeover, they'll have to produce the information as evidence in court. Mm. I mean, I... Part of me would like to think that lots of people on Twitter are bots because some of the hate you see on there, I'd rather think that a bot's a dirty scumbag than humans. No, I totally agree. You know, imagine, it... imagine if a robot could dislike you. Something with no emotions. <laughs> You've been so... You're so hateable that it's somehow found a way to dislike you. Surely that's worse. Do you think, Leo, that it would be a good thing if ultimately Elon Musk does take over Twitter? Oh, absolutely. It'd be fantastic. You've seen with Project Veritas, there's been incredible uh, undercover uh, interviews done. Uh, so basically people pose, uh, pose on dating sites and date Twitter employees and then they, they pull out all this information from them about the complete bias. And uh, I mean, we, we've seen it. The, the amount of 
uh, right-wing people who've been kicked off Twitter for the, the flimsiest of ideas or any, anybody who's remotely gender-critical gets booted off while, uh, while uh, you know, uh, pro it, the trans lobby can uh, have death threats and all the rest of it. It is astonishing, stay, stay isn't it, that, that Twitter maintain that they don't have political bias. It's, un, it's yeah. unbelievable. And we at the House of Lords today, we heard Joanna Cherry giving a talk about precisely this thing because she, she actually took uh, people from Twitter to task in the Scottish Parliament and she was, you know, presenting them with evidence that they will kick women off off, yeah. feminists off their platform just for acknowledging a biological sex, but they won't kick people sending images of guns and nooses to feminists calling them a turf. Yeah. Right, so there's, there's a clear double standard here, isn't there, Steve? I mean, maybe this is the solution because the experts are saying that Twitter may be tainted if this deal doesn't go ahead. Uh, it, maybe it just fails. Imagine that. Give it a couple of years. Maybe there's just no Twitter and we can all go about our lives again. Do you know what? I, that is what we should go for. Yeah. I think a complete end to Twitter. I'd be, I'd be so happy with that. Anyway, uh, keeping with tomorrow's times and maybe the fuel sanctions have backfired. Leo? Well, yeah, Britain could apparently end up buying Russian fuel after the embargo. So most fuel in Britain is not imported from Russia, but a lack of domestic refining capacity means imports of Russian fuel make up a fifth of the diesel used in the UK Every year. I mean, why do we not have domestic refining capacity? We're, we're a mod, supposedly modern country. We've got oil fields that we're not exploiting. We're not getting the oil out of them because of, you know, net zero. Everybody thinks it's somehow greener to pay Vladimir Putin lots of money and get dirty oil, which I'm pretty sure the oil that comes from Russia isn't extracted in the, the cleanest and greenest of ways. No. It's absolute madness. Fracking but, but as well. We've stymied fracking in this country. I mean, there may be some, you know, issues with earthquakes or, uh, you know, mild pollution, but, I mean, uh, surely right now we can just kick the, the green worries down the, down the road for a little while while we deal with World War III. But I think your first point is that you don't need to kick the green worries out because actually it would be greener to refine fuel here rather than ref refine it and transport it. Yeah. Transportation costs. So I don't, I don't necessarily think we have to be anti-green because some of these are just easy ticks. Yeah. Like both sides could agree and we could win this. Yeah, but we should also be anti-green. Of course, the damage. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different <laughs> question. But, I mean, surely the war in Ukraine, I mean, you know, with the supplies from Russia... All of this has been a bit of a wake-up call about self-sufficiency. Yeah, but it feels like a wake-up call that you should have been able to work out just with, like, Google and a calculator. <laughs> Donald Trump saw it coming, and everybody laughed at him when he said, you know, we're, we're reliant on Putin and we're giving, you know, money to this despot. Everybody laughed at him. You know, Germany carried on giving, giving Putin a billion dollars a day for, for oil and gas. It's, it's an absolute nonsense. I, and I can't believe, I can't believe we're not, you know, even after, as soon as, put, as, soon as Russian boots set foot in Ukraine, we should have immediately started producing, exploiting the Campbell field, exploiting our fracking. It just, it makes utter sense. Fair enough. And I'm glad you got a Trump plug in there. You can get him in anywhere, can't you? <laughs> yeah. He's going he's to be the next one. Yeah. He's coming yeah, back. Anyway. A couple, couple more years. Tuesday's Financial Times. This is a headline. We can actually understand this one, Steve. Well, that Shell is on TikTok. Yeah. Actually, I don't understand it. I don't understand <laughs> the basic principles, but why? Oh, Shell, the oil company's on TikTok. I guess you're cool now. So they're trying to boost their popularity among younger people, I guess. I mean, TikTok is all 12-year-olds, isn't it? Uh, and so why, why is Shell... It's what I still don't get. Why is an oil company... Hey, we're not like those stuffy other oil refiners. We're cool. We, we love hydrocarbons. I don't know what they're doing. I'm not seeing any of their, their TikToks, whatever they're called. I don't know if they're just doing dance routines. If they're just doing lip sync, I don't think it is just dance routines. But it's, they're not the only ones. There've been loads of oil companies using social media to try and be our best friends. And yes. actually, they are using the situation in Ukraine to go. Uh, I mean, guys, maybe we're great after all.
Okay, and maybe. It's a bit cynical doing this. I'm not. I'm, well, I, I mean, I'm with you on this. I don't understand why they care what a bunch of twelve-year-olds think. Yeah, I really don't. Yeah. Leo, do you have any idea? Yeah, I've got shares in Shell, and I think they should be digging some oil out the ground and selling it instead of messing around with TikTok videos. It's an absolute nonsense. So Shell didn't uh, didn't develop the Campbell Field in the North Sea, which would have solved a lot of our problems we're having now with uh, with energy. Uh, and I mean, in fairness, uh, the government does have you know it's it's quite precarious being a being an oil company at the best of times. Yeah. But then the government introduces windfall taxes and things like that. So you can't even you can't even uh, you don't know what the financial situation is going to be uh, when when you do it. But it's surely I mean any money you spend on TikTok ads is just money down the drain. I mean, it's not the solution, is it? Let's do it. I tell you what, um, if you want social media, the people love pictures of animals. So try and find a few birds without oil on them and tweet those. Tuesday's mail, and it's times like this when you just have to think, how would Jesus define women? <laughs> well, the Church of England has admitted that it doesn't have a def definition of the word woman, e even though I'm pretty sure it's in the Bible. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, mate. Yeah, they've literally got this <laughs> pretty, uh, near the front of the Bible. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, a bishop yesterday said that the meaning of the word used to be self-evident. Uh, they used to have it written down in the Bible. I don't know if they're rewriting the Bible. You know, you've got the King James Bible. Are they going to have, uh, you know, an, an Owen Jones Bible? But you can't rewrite it. You can only read translate it but yeah i guess you could do that couldn't right you? Yeah. yeah well you, you added... woman, woman with an x instead of an a, <laughs> things yeah. like that he added that there are now complexities associated with gender identity which a church project about sexuality and relationships is exploring i mean i'm not religious but even i think that you know the church could be a bit more christian okay steve right the whole point of an established church is that it's traditional that it holds on to things from the past and that it doesn't just sort of surrender to whatever the voguish trend of the moment happens to be. This is a trend that's basically been living, what, three, four years? <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, if you expect anyone to be, and I might use the phrase out of touch, but not in a bad way, you expect the church to be behind times. Surely. Yeah, that's, sure. It's, it's job, that's its appeal. It? <laughs> yeah, normally. But you kind of also know what's being said here. Whilst the words are saying, oh, we, we're not sure we have a definition, the actual story is we're a little scared of getting things wrong. Is that right? You Do think? you not think that's what it is? Well, like, I don't like, know. Like Keir I... Starmer, when he was put on the spot. Oh, like, I love oh. that. So, so he was um, interviewed by Nick Ferrari on LBC and asked whether a woman could have a penis. I actually wrote down his exact response. He said, uh, Nick, I'm not, uh, I, I don't think we can, you know, I get this, uh. <laughs> that was his actual response to that question. And all of those words mean the same thing. I'm scared <laughs> of saying something. Right, but this is the bigger question, isn't it? So all of these people in authority, politicians, now the church, uh, civil servants, whoever, teachers, academics, everyone's terrified of saying the thing that we all know. And that's a real problem, isn't it? That's why it was great today with Kemi Badenoch yeah. when someone said, do you know what a woman... She said, I know what a woman is. People cheered. People cheered that a politician knows what a woman is. That's, what, that's how far this has gone. We've got to put an end to this. Surely, Steve. And it makes sense that we could, like, the trans... The pro-trans side of this should look at this and go, wait a minute, we don't want any uh, argument where it's a laughing stock. It's a laughing stock to not know what a word means. Yeah. So if we can get rid of hate and these ways of suddenly tripping ourselves up over words, we could actually have the, the proper discussion, which is about rights, which is about people. That's what it's about. Let's get Be upset because even to say that the pro-trans argument doesn't make sense because no one's anti-trans. It's it, it's not it's not transphobic to say that we know what a woman is, yeah. but it's been framed in that way, which is the problem. I mean, it is true that some people are transphobic. But that doesn't necessarily mean that just because someone's used a word woman, they are transphobic. This no, exactly. is like overlaps of Venn diagram. Very, very strange. Anyway, we've got to move on now. Uh, Tuesday's Times, 
Bad news for British universities, Steve. Yeah, beware the China catastrophe, UK Oof. universities have been told. The most upsetting thing about this is, of course, China crisis was already used. Would have been the perfect <laughs> phrase. Can't it would have, have it. been. You should be a headline writer. Yeah. What is the China catastrophe other than a really xenophobic phrase? <laughs> it does sound terrible. It sounds awful. This is about science in universities and the way that we now team up to do research and those links were severed with Russia, yeah. which... I mean, there's so much shade in this. So this is uh, Vivian Stern, who's the incoming head of uh, Universities UK. Part of that shade is saying, look, we've lost links with Russia. No, not really cares. But it'd be really bad if it was China, which is such shade on Russia. Yeah. We'll, we'll get over that. She was doing this speech talking to uh, Australian scientists. Again, what a slap in the face. Like, hi, Australian scientists. We'd really miss China if we didn't get to work with those. It's another slap so, in the so face. So th this is a concern, though, isn't it? If, if these links with China... Uh, because there are suggestions in this article uh, that there is some sort of spying going on. I think there are two parts to it. There is the, if we lose the ability to work with and research with Chinese scientists, we'd lose a huge amount of uh, research capability. The second part of it is look at how many foreign students we have. Was it um, 50 over the last three years? Were, and it said in the article, expelled for spying. I don't know if it means like, expelled from the UK or just like, you have to go to no, a different that... university now. That actually really shocked me. Fifty students from China expelled over suspected espionage. But that's that's quite a lot, isn't it, yeah. Leo? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's out of one hundred and forty-four thousand. So I mean, it's, it's small, but yeah, fifty cases. And I mean, there there is a lot of uh, espionage going on from China. The, the biggest theft of all time was the I think it's the F two uh, fighter. The, so the blueprints were stolen that, that cost billions and billions to develop. And then uh, China just you know like you get the sort of dodgy Nike trainers. They just have a different logo on them. They brought out the, the J2 or whatever yeah. it's called, the J1 in, in well, China. And it's just the same plane. It's the exact same shape, just a different colour. I, I don't think anyone's surprised that China, the Chinese government is investing in, in espionage. I think that's, yeah. you know, that's obviously going to happen. But obviously, we do rely on international students. They pay so much more. Yeah, yeah, and in academia. And also, I mean, there's, there's a risk with uh, research in the West of falling behind Chinese academic research because they're not beholden to the same uh, strict rules uh, so, you know, if, if you want to do um, research on human neurology, for example, in China, you can, you know, the government will let you no doubt use human participants, maybe some of the uh, people they've got in camps. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not it's not the the same sort of, it's not a level playing field for are you, research. Are you saying we should level that playing field and no. do that research? <laughs> no, I'm, saying, I'm saying we should, uh, we should try and uh, not force China to do anything, but we should we should try and engender some sort of um, uh, regime change. You want to go to war with China? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that's a Just bad idea. China to, the Chinese people to rise up against. Tuesday's sure. mail, <laughs> before Leo starts an insurrection. <laughs> Tuesday's mail, and this is a LinkedIn story, and this, this is incredible. I mean, what's going... I read this and I couldn't quite believe what I was reading. Well, following off, I've got experience of this because, uh, well, I'll tell you the story first. So military counterintelligence officers and GCHQ analysts are, are among more than 1,000 people to make themselves potential targets by disclosing their status in a breach of government guidelines, uh, according to a Daily Mail investigation. So workers who pass develop vetting, uh, which does... I mean, I've, I've, I haven't completed the process, but in a previous job I, I was being put through it when I worked for the Foreign Office. Uh, so it does background checks on finances, family and sexual history. They literally, literally get in touch with like ex-girlfriends and ask, you know, all kinds of stuff. Most of it's financial to make sure you're not in debt. It's to, it's to make sure there's nothing you can uh, be blackmailed for okay. so you won't become a, a security leak. But it costs a lot of money and a lot of time to go through this vetting. It's 
you know, thousands for developed vetting and uh, I had SC clearance, security clearance. So that was, developed vetting is the, is the highest level. That allows, uh, I think, unsupervised access to top secret. Um, and, you know, SE is the, is the layer below that. But when you've got it, it's a valuable asset. It's like, you know, having, having Prince 2 or some other qualification. Yeah. So people put it on their LinkedIn. And I mean, I, I put it on my LinkedIn because then you get more better jobs and you know more money because okay. you don't need to pay for you to go through the the vet. So that makes sense. But this this article suggesting that spies are bragging. Well, this this is the thing. I mean, if if you're a spy, you'll have been through this developed vetting. It's a bit of a giveaway. It's a bit of a flag that this person might be a spy. Are there any other so, jobs you might? Oh, there's there's loads. I mean, uh, military an analyst, but a, a criminal. I was a criminal intelligence analyst, so I had uh, you know SC vetting, so I could see you know. Uh, but it's still probably not a good idea to put it on LinkedIn. Well, I think if you if you want to get a better job, then it, it is. It is a good idea. Steve, <laughs> shouldn't spies not be on LinkedIn? It just feels like, <laughs> are we recruiting spies? For, surely no one looks at LinkedIn anyway. I mean, I don't know how they got my email address. Although, actually, now I do. There's loads of spies on there. <laughs> but surely, to goodness, why isn't, it, why isn't it more like the Bond films, where these people are selected because they're brilliant, they, they kick exactly. butt rather exactly. than... Exactly. Look, I've got my new... Keyboard warriors, that's not spying. <laughs> no. Hopeless. Anyway, let's move on now to The Telegraph next. Maybe octopussy isn't for everyone, Steve? Why aren't spies more like this? That's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. It's an interesting article. They've looked at what happened with the making of octopussy because they were up against... This was the Bond-off, the two Bonds. Yeah, so what happened is that there were two Bond films in the same year, 1983. Yeah. So octopussy. They've done all the Sean Connery ones. He doesn't do it. It doesn't work out with... Uh, oh, I can't remember his name. But on Sean a Connery. No, after Sean Connery, on a magistrate's... Uh, secret Roger Moore. Lazenby. That one. George Lazenby. Lazenby doesn't work out. Yeah. His wife dies at the end of it as well. What a terrible end. But oh, no spoilers. The, sorry, if you've not seen it yet, it's <laughs> someone else's fault, isn't it? But then there was a, a challenge where they put together enough to make this kind of fake bond when yes. Sean Connery came back. Never say the, never again. Um, versus, uh, yeah, never say never again, versus Octopussy, and they came up with loads of things you wouldn't get away with. I mean, I think the title you wouldn't get away with these days. <laughs> I mean, if it weren't for Octo as a prefix, meaning eight, seems a strange, what, like Tetra, you'd never get away with it for oh. that. Even Mono, you wouldn't. But... Well, what would you call the, the woman in, uh, in Total Recall in the bar? With three breasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trimammaries? I don't know. But, I mean, look, it, I mean, it's a strange article, isn't it, in a way, because it's just talking about how weird octopus he was. Because there's a moment where he ends up dressed as a clown defusing a bomb, yeah. and there's a moment where he hides himself in a gorilla soup. But, you know, when yeah. I saw it as a kid, it didn't strike me as weird, because Roger Moore was quite a camp Bond. Yeah. So yeah. it was all about slapstick. It's yeah, so it really close fun. to carry-on films. Yeah. Like that phase during Bond. It yeah. Was, had yeah. And interestingly, it was made on a bit of a shoestring. So United Artists, who've been a long-time distributor for, for Bond films, uh, they, they went bust. I think they were, went bust and were taken over by Transamerica. Uh, there's a really good uh, book about it called Final Cut that you know, is written by somebody who's involved in it. Uh, so they, they made this, uh, this flop, um, Michael Cibino's uh, follow-up to Deer Hunter. It's called oh, Heaven's yeah. Gate. And yeah. it lost, like, it was the biggest time. It was like Waterworld times 10. They lost so much money. And uh, and yeah, then they didn't have the they didn't have the money to to make the bond properly, so they were really putting pressure on to you know use cheaper sets, fewer car chases, all the rest of it. Wow. Well, it's an inter it. interesting article. Not you know, not much more to say about it. Although I will say, Waterworld is a much better film than people <laughs> remember. Honestly, watch it again. It's great. Uh, Daily Star, and it seems every day we get closer to being in an episode of Black Mirror, Leo. Oh, my God. This yeah, sort this, of stuff terrifies me. I'm sorry. This, this was in an episode of Black Mirror. So the first human trials of an augmented reality contact lens have been successful, paving the way for the end of smartphones uh, because the internet is going to be built into our eyeballs. 
So we okay, can... so what? So you, it'll be like the Terminator when you walk around, you can see yeah. information coming up on the the screen, which is actually yeah. your view of the world. And it'll tell you uh, what sort of gun you're looking at, if the person's <laughs> cowboy boots fit you. It's, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> So yeah, basically, yeah, this uh, apparently it's got a higher resolution than a top-end iPhone. Because I'd heard about these uh, digital contact lenses before, but they're a very low resolution. This one has an incredibly high, uh, incredibly high resolution. So uh, it's, it, I mean, it'll make it easier to watch pornography at the Houses of Parliament. Nobody will know. Leo, so I'm, I'm going mean, to put this on record. I'm not putting this stuff in my eyes, right? <laughs> and I'm not going to make myself half computer cyborg, whatever these overlords want us to do. I oh. think this is ridiculous. We'll be putting <laughs> chips in our brains next. Oh. They'll, they'll, they'll be controlling us by remote control from Silicon Valley. Steve, don't you dare try to defend this. This is absolutely brilliant. I can't wait. Because firstly, you could zone out in a conversation and just search for some stuff. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, I don't think you need to worry about it, though, because uh, remember Google Glass? No. Because they were glasses with the same sort of thing. Oh, yeah. it's, we're all going to be wearing these glasses. It never took off. The only person I ever saw with them, I was doing a show up in Edinburgh years ago, this was, and this guy comes up to the venue, looks at it, walks in, comes out and went, is this the venue? It's like, mate, you're wearing Google Glass. Google it. Google it. <laughs> Google thing, it on your face. The thing about this stuff is, though, they're saying that you could, it would have, could effectively record your entire life. So if you've re misremembered something, you can go back and check. I like forgetting certain things. I don't want that option. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's open to exploitation. And that, that was the thing that Google Glasses did. So as well as being able to see, as well as overlaying facts and things about you know, what you're looking at, it also recorded what you're, what, what you're seeing in front of you. And a comedian, Joe Jacobs, did a, did a hilarious uh, video uh, where he put on a Scottish accent and walked around London uh, talking to people. And, uh, and then, you know, film their reactions through the Google Glass. I mean, it, I just, I'm sorry, I'm not having it. I'd like too much information. I don't want to be looking at you and seeing your vital statistics come up in a, in a grid. I'll tell you them. Right. <laughs> it's totally unnecessary. Anyway, let's move on to Tuesday's mirror next. First butter, then cheese, now meat. But I'm not vegetarian, so I don't care, Steve. Supermarkets put in uh, trade. This, this is not just security tags where it beep as you try and leave. Yeah. Uh, trackable cases. These are GPS trackers on meat products. Like you get on, like, expensive bottles of champagne or yeah. something. Yeah, OK. Now, surely, now, don't get me wrong, meat products are getting expensive. But surely most of the cost is the GPS tracker that you have to put on each steak. So that this so is... Why the, are they doing this? Because people are nicking stuff. Um, this is co-op in West, Brid uh, West, West Bridgeford, Nottinghamshire, and it's just down the road from where I was born in Mansfield, so I think I get to do this slight going, oh, that's why people are nicking stuff. It's not because it's expensive, it's because it's in West Bridgeford. But, oh, local burn. <laughs> um, but it's things like steak, uh, beef, then also they've put blocks of cheese have had security tags on it. Basically everything's just going to so, get so, tagged. So this is about the cost of living crisis, everything's getting more expensive. This article indicates that a tub of uh, Lurpak butter is now £7.25. This is like Weimar Germany. This is yeah. the inflation out of control. I mean, it's, it? not, it's not quite that bad. But certain things like sunflower oil, so uh, Ukraine is the world's biggest grower of sunflowers, so sunflower oil is, is you know, shot up in, in cost. And other things, other food products have shot up in cost also because of the, the cost of transporting them. Um, but these tags, uh, they're reusable, so it's not like uh, you have to buy a new tag for every joint of meat. So mm. they're reusable. I didn't know they were GPS activated. That's, that's, so you could go and find where, you know... Well, who's going to do that? The police don't do any crime I'd, solving anyway. I'd so. do that. That'd be fun. <laughs> Watching them on, like, my little octopusy James Bond GPS tracker. That's, that's amazing. But this is, uh, this is also because of self-service. So all the supermarkets are self-service. Of course, of course. So, you know, you've got to stop people. I mean, how many, how many times have you, you know, bought, uh, bought onions instead of, uh, instead of rib, rib the, roast? The, the temptation's <laughs> too great for thieves. 
Anyway, let's move on now to the Times next. It looks like the environmentally friendly people of Britain still love their plastic bottles, Leo. Yeah, so Mintel, which is a retail analysis company and not, uh, not a type of mint, uh, says one in six people uh, drink plain still water every day um, from, a, from a bottle. I mean, I should imagine a lot more drink it from a tap where it's free, which, you know, it's great. But it forecasts that the value of bottled water sales will increase by more than 20% to reach £2.3 billion in 2026, despite environmental concerns over the use of plastic. And, and also... The fact that it comes out of the tap for free and it's better quality is, is... Actually, tap water is made to higher standards than bottled water. But uh, this, uh, this retail analysis company said that bottled water was drunk more by those struggling financially than those with healthy finances. Yeah, they're struggling because they're spending all their money on water. I mean, okay. if you're so idiotic to spend money on something that comes out of the tap for free then obviously you're going to be struck. What else are you going to be spending I mean, money on? Steve, this is ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, we have a really great water system in this country. They have fluoride in the water. That's the reason we've all got a full set of teeth, right? Yeah. You know, they, they, it's a really good for you. It's, it, it's not like other countries where, where, you know, you can't drink the water because you'll get dysentery or whatever. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I do live in a part of Hertfordshire where every so often they switch where the water comes from and it's got a tang to it for a few months where it actually okay. But, and it's very hard, it's very hard water. I don't know but, what that means, really, because it always seems quite wet to me. The, <laughs> if you put it in a water mattress, you don't sleep. It ruins your back. OK. Um, no, but <laughs> it's like you're, cement. You're right. It's, it's just, surely the only thing you get out of this is the bottle. Buy a different bottle or I just don't, reuse it to heck. It's expensive. It's not environmentally conscious. I don't get it. It's just, and it's one of these things that, you know, gets, becomes faddy in people. It's a status symbol. There's a, there's a trend for specialist water. So there's a store opening this year that sells bottles up to £130. So they sell water from Arctic icebergs as well as condensation. Oh, come on. Condensation from fog in the Algarve. So this is, you know, for the Gwyneth Paltrow's out there, you can spend a fortune well, on this stuff. But it's absolutely... Pointless. Don't waste your money, people. Don't forget that Evian, spelt backwards, is naive. <laughs> anyway, let's move on now to Tuesday's sun. And who knew, turns out, salt <laughs> is bad for you. Yeah, this won't take long. Exactly that. <laughs> um, the, this study, instead of just saying that salt in food is bad for you, they've looked more at adding salt to it. That's also bad for you. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it does make things taste better. It really does. It's a very good condiment. Whoever put it in uh, caramel, it shouldn't have worked. I mean, you know, the, the I don't think that does work, Steve. I'm going to put my neck out. It's there. ruined me. I'd say what. <laughs> oh, if no one would have ever put those things two together, I'd be I'd be the thinnest man on this room. But oh, I love a salted caramel. Really? You've got to try Brussels sprouted caramel. Oh, I'll have, I'll have a Brussels bit of that. sprouted caramel. Is, is, that, is that a real thing? It sounds like they shouldn't go together, but oh my god! So effectively, this uh, we've had this. This study is just saying don't eat salt because it's bad for you. Well, well don't eat too much salt. Yeah, it kills. But it, all, it does say that uh, there's high salt foods including uh, cheese, ham, gravy granules. I would have guessed that smoked fish, soy sauce. Yeah, it all sound like prawns. Prawns have got a lot of salt. I would really? Well, they they don't though, isn't it? They just drink. Yeah, but they it. don't. They don't taste salty. Ah, but no, well. You know, don't good. eat prawns. Anyway, Tuesday's Guardian now, and uh, the saying goes there, at it like rabbits. But perhaps it's time to change that to squirrels. Yeah, apparently uh, they're going to give oral contraceptives to squirrels. I don't know how they're going to make sure they swallow them. Because uh, it's gonna... a nightmare giving a pill to a cat. Have you ever tried that? Yeah. You have to wrap it in a tea towel so it doesn't scratch your face off. And... The pill or the... The, the, oh, right, the, the cat. Yeah. So giving it to a squirrel, because they're nimble, wee things. Yeah, they're very, and they can climb trees where yeah. you can't even get to them. Yeah. And they, need, they can't really hold the glass of water to swallow the pill. No, so it's, it's, it's a nightmare. It's still, still an awful lot easier than a little tiny condom. 
Because yeah, that's, that's true, that's true. So why <laughs> are they doing this? Have you any experience of little technicals? The grey squirrels came over here from America in 1870. Coming over here, yeah. stealing our yeah. like on, in the on jobs, acorns. Little rafts <laughs> coming across the channel. No, so they're, they're an invasive uh, species in the UK. Wow, this is, this is a bit racist. Uh, and this is in The Guardian as well, describing grey squirrels as an invasive species. That's disgusting. But they were introduced from North America in the 1870s, but they're, they're outbreeding... Uh, red squirrels, which are native squirrels, they're bigger, they're, they're more aggressive, and uh, they carry a disease called squirrel pox. Um, I don't know how it got that name. Uh, it doesn't affect them, but it can kill red squirrels. So are we, are we going to have squirrel pox now? We've had monkey pox. Is that the, is that if, the thing? If you're a red squirrel. This make, so. We've got time for one more story now. Uh, this is Tuesday's Mirror. Uh, do you get the feeling you're being watched, Steve? This is holidaymakers being targeted by a seagull. Now, they always are, though. Every year there's a story of a seagull there, because they get hungry and they like chips and they swoop on you. But, um, yeah, there's an, another seagull. This one's called Albert the Seagull. I'm presuming we've named it rather than it's got a... I don't know. These things are pretty independent. And they're huge and scary. I mean, they're like pterodactyls. Have you seen them they're when they go like for you? They're exactly the same as pterodactyls. Are you scared of seagulls? They, <laughs> don't like them. I mean, look, sometimes you're at the seaside and you just maybe don't, don't flaunt your chips. You know what you get off the tube and they say, don't show your mobile phone in case you get mugged? Same with chips and seagulls. Don't flaunt your chips is a great phrase. What do you think, Leo? Well, yeah, apparently this, did this seagull follow them home? Oh, and, I'm <laughs> telling you, they are psychopaths <laughs> on yeah. the bus. So it really seems to, you know, have a vendetta against this particular family. I think it's just the way that... See, look, watch Hitchcock yeah. and you will know what I'm talking about. Don't trust any of these creatures. Anyway, that's it for tonight. That's all we got time for. Thank you to my guests, Steve and Leo. We'll be back for Headliners tomorrow at 11 o'clock. We'll see you then. Farewell. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring. 